You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. If you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We are at the forefront of this incredible journey that we will make together through this gospel account, the gospel according to to Mark. It's our prayer that through this series, sleepy Christians would be awoken out of their slumber to the beauties of the gospel, that believers would be reinvigorated by the timeless truths of this gospel account, and that non-believers even that, if that's you this morning, if you're a non-believer and you're in here today, that you would come to a saving faith and knowledge of the person and the work that Christ Jesus has done for you. And so that's what we're, that, are, that is our hope, that is our prayer. And so the fact that you're here with us on this early Sunday morning service at 8 a.m. is, for one, uh, humbling to us that you would be here. And two, we're incredibly thankful. We ask that God would bless you through his word, specifically even through the reading of his word. So if you would stand now for the reading of God's word. We're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Father God, may you bless the reading of your word. And as our Bibles are opened, may our hearts be opened and receptive to the beauties of the gospel. May we look at this story not just as historical, but as transforming. For Jesus, you came out of heaven. What was a mystery for thousands of years to accomplish the work of redeeming, of buying for yourself a people, taking for yourself a people who are only worthy of condemnation. Yet out of the riches of your mercy and grace, you've brought us to yourself. May we come to the scriptures with the posture of a heart that is humble. May all the the mess that is our life, may all the noise from the weak be tuned down and may in this holy moment as we, your people, gather to make much of you, See you and receive your word. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. It was just a few uh, weeks, maybe a couple of months before I was to get married um, when my brother-in-law and I... um, well, my brother-in-law decided to take me out on a journey 
to, uh, for like a little pre-bachelor party. And so uh, for whatever reason, he wasn't able to make it to the actual bachelor party. We went down to Mexico on a surf trip. And, and so um, he decided to take me out and to treat me. And so we jump in his uh, car. We go off-roading out in the wilderness, mind you. And we're out there. It's dark. We're off-roading. And, and we're out in the wilderness to do this thing called mud caving. And I don't know if you know what mud caving is, um, but it's this, it's, it's, we, we, we got out of the car, we threw on our lights, our flashlights on our head, dressed from head to toe because it's cold, and you go look for these caves in the mountains where there's, where there's mud. And, um, and so, sure enough, we're, we're out there, we, we find the caves, and it's pretty awesome because you, like, jump in these caves, and, and they're freezing cold, and there's water and mud, it just has this stench to it that is like no other. It smells horrible, and it's orange, and it stains anything. It'll even dye your skin. Like, if you want to tan, you don't have to go to a tan booth. Just go mud caving. Like, that's how intense the mud is. And so we go mud caving, and we're walking through these caves with mud at sometimes up to our necks, turning our heads. The roof of the cave is right here for you claustrophobic people, right? You're like getting sweaty palms right now thinking about it. And you can't move too fast at some points because you don't want water splashing into your mouth and then, you know, you can't breathe or whatever. And so it was awesome. It was fun. <laughs> and uh, we had a good time mud caving. While just hours before, if not nearly at the same time, we're in the mud caves, my soon-to-be spouse is trying on wedding dresses. So that's like the image. She's, you just picture this. She's in a domesticated mall. It's beautiful. It's, she's got a white gown on. She looks amazing. She's in glory. She's clean. And then on the other hand, you have the wilderness. You have it's wild. It's untamed. It's muddy. It's unclean. That is the contrast that is similar to the contrast that we have here in our verses in the Gospel of Mark. Where verses 9 through 11 are this beautiful picture of glory. This amazing scene of holiness and purity and, and greatness. And then from verses 9 to 11 to verses 12 and 13, you have this ugly change of scene. From cleanliness to ugliness, from glory to the mire. This text that we have here is strange. <laughs> it is a weird story. It is a weird, wild text. There's nothing tame about this story, nothing domesticated about Jesus in the wilderness in verses 12 through 13. No domesticated Jesus now who looks like an angel in his purity as he is often portrayed in the flannel graph version of Jesus. You have the servant Savior on the heels of this glorious moment in baptism where God the Father is looking down at him saying, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This scene is beautiful, where the clouds are split and torn open, and even we are able to look uh, in this moment through the window of outside of time into who God is, that God, we have one God 
who communes from eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We look at their relationship and there's love in the Trinity where God the Father has unceasing and unending love for God the Son. He is pleased with his Son. Like you would think in this moment, like right after that happens, Jesus would capitalize on that opportunity. Jesus, the heavens were split open. God the Father speaks. The Spirit descends on you like a dove. What are you going to preach? When are you going to start your healing ministry? When are you going to do some incredible, this is the, this is, if, if, if you talk about the flows of momentum, this is your peak, man. Go for it. Go, Jesus. You take it. You seize on this opportunity. And Jesus goes to the wilderness, like alone. Like, just think about that for a moment. Strange. The Jews were hoping for a hostile government takeover. Others were hoping for healing. Others were wanting the Messiah to speak then. But instead, with the stroke of a pen, the movement of the story brings us to where the wild things are. And that's verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. It's wild that Jesus would go from the glories of heaven looking down on him to the wilderness to the lonely landscape what is the wilderness and we see the third word in verse 12 immediately um, we're going to become pretty familiar with that verse there that with that word immediately it's you will notice it throughout the gospel of mark he wastes no time he goes from one story to the next story to the next story rapid fire it's the shorthand version of all the gospel accounts. He gets to the point. So there's no doubt here Jesus is probably going from the highest moment in his life up to this point to the very quickly, in fact, immediately to the lowest moment of his life. To one of the worst moments of his life. And so what, what we see here in this story is Jesus first as our example and then what Jesus has done as an event. So, so here, let's first talk about the example that Jesus here has, has given to us. That he goes from the mountain high, the extremely intense spiritual experience of being near and being close to God, to the valley low in the wilderness. But you see, we can't, Jesus cannot stay on the mountain high. We cannot always be on that mountaintop experience because the oxygen is thin. We have to come back to level ground. We have to be in the valley. It's an example for us. So often, I think, the Christian experience is sold to many people Maybe it was sold to you is this way, that, that if you want to have an easier life, if you want to have a better life, that if you want to be blessed, if you want victory upon victory upon victory, if you want more health, if you want more wealth, if you want more influence, then follow Jesus and all those things are yours. Now, I am not saying those things in some way or another cannot be yours. I do believe that all the promises of God are yes and amen through Jesus. But I am not saying in any way that the Christian life can be defined by those things. Though some are sold 
this is what the Christian life is. That if you have enough faith, all those things are yours. I'm not trying to rain on your parade and say those things are not yours, but you cannot define your entire Christian experience and life on those things alone. As some do, in the word faith movement, in churches that preach prosperity, which I don't, I don't want to be that guy on Sunday morning, like, oh, all right, great, like, so encouraging, Travis. Thank you so much for that. But I'm just being honest, you guys. That is the landscape of Kona. That is the landscape of not all churches. There are faithful churches on this island who preach and declare the gospel. But that is, by and large, most of the churches here in Hawaii, that is their message. Word faith. Prosperity. You come to Jesus, watch him do these miraculous things for you. And if you have anything less than that, then you don't have enough faith. You know what that does to people? It excites them. It draws crowds. It builds excited people until life happens. And then people are crushed. I want you to hear me on this. Jesus is closer to God as a man, as the God-man, than you and I will ever be. He is more righteous than we will ever be. Why would we be excluded from the wilderness experience when Jesus was not? Just think about that for a moment. He did not get a hall pass from going through that experience, and why would we? Now in the scriptures, the wilderness, it's a place of darkness. It's a place of, of aimlessness. When, the, when, the, when the, the word wilderness is used in scriptures, it's often referring to testing of danger. In the wilderness, there is very little life. Maybe, maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you are tired and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no end in sight. You are in the wilderness with very little signs of life. You have hardly any nourishment for your soul. Could it be that you were in the wilderness not because of disobedience, but obedience? Who sent Jesus into the wilderness? Was Jesus disobedient? I want you to look at verse 12 again. This is wild. This is the Spirit. Capital S, the Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Spirit of God, immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The same Holy Spirit that moments earlier painted this beautiful picture of the canvas of Jesus' baptism is now the same Spirit that drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The same spirit that clothed Jesus in glory is now the same spirit that is crushing Jesus by sending him out into the wilderness. And maybe, as our example, the sovereign spirit of God has led you into the wilderness. 
just as the Spirit did with Jesus. Israel was punished for cheating against the true God. Israel was rebellious against God. They worshipped other gods other than the true God. And even when they were worshipping God, they were complaining. They had their issues. They, they, they were not faithful to God. And because of their sin, they were sentenced to the wilderness. And so I'm not saying you might not have a wilderness experience because of sin. You may very well be in the wilderness because of unrepentant sin. But Abraham, Jacob, David, Jeremiah, Jesus, John, the Baptist were in darkness, in aimlessness, in testing, in danger, with very little signs of life. They were in the wilderness because of their obedience. The Spirit of God led them there. Yes, being a disciple means that in Jesus you were promised safety, security, and blessing. And being a disciple of Jesus means uncertainty, unpredictability, and hardship. Because Jesus is an example to us. In fact, John the Baptist, who we just learned about a few weeks ago, remember he's a trailblazer of Jesus, the voice crying out in the wilderness, hey, make straight the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's this voice that is crying out in the wilderness and people are coming to hear him. He is faithfully, obediently doing all that God has commanded him. Did you know verse 14? Literally, In chapter 1 of Mark, verse 14, we read just a couple of words, and John was in prison. For what? Being obedient. Like, I have yet to hear, like, an evangelism event. Come to Jesus Christ. It might be horrible. You might go to prison. Now, in America, probably not so much, but there are other places in the world, right? We, we have it nice here, and, and I'm trying to put any guilt trip on you at all. But I'm just saying, this is the picture we have. He is in prison, John the Baptist is, and will soon be beheaded because of his obedience. What? Yeah. I'm not asking if you have enough faith to get out of the wilderness. Because if you've been praying, if you've been reading the scriptures, maybe you haven't perfectly been praying, but you've been praying, you've been trying, you've been in the word, you've been picking this book up, and sometimes you have days where it's like, wow, this is so good, God, you're speaking, and then, but you've been doing the same thing, same routine, same three cups of coffee in the morning, however you roll, and now it's you're in a dry season, but you're reading and you're praying and, and you're being obedient. You've been sick and you've been asking for healing. You have some faith. It's not perfect, but you've been trusting in him. You have been obedient to Jesus, yet Jesus seems distant. The flames of devotion are now warm coals from a leftover fire. 
I'm not asking you to have enough faith to get out of the wilderness. But are you trusting him in the wilderness he has sent you to? Have you found him to be good to you in the wilderness? But he's not near to me, but he's there. Guys, I want you to be encouraged that if you are in the wilderness, I'm not talking to all of you right now. I know many of you are not. Like, we're in Hawaii. It's perfect. You're paradise, right? <laughs> wilderness. Um, uh, the, the facade of paradise does not fool me to think that we are not inwardly living in hell. I want you to be encouraged that if you are in the wilderness, may God's word and his spirit replenish and revitalize your soul. May you not give into temptation in the wilderness because temptation always awaits in the wilderness. Look at verse 13 now. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So now we're shifting from Jesus being sent by the Spirit of God sovereignly to the wilderness as part of God's plan for him, example, to now an event that is unfolding for us in our behalf. And here in this event, you have to admit, things are getting even more wild. Like, if it's not crazy enough that in obedience, God the Spirit is sending Jesus out into the wilderness. If that's not enough, Satan is there tempting him, and he's with the wild animals. Like, you, I, I was reading that. Interesting, that's like... It tells us here, and he was with the wild animals. And so I was looking at some commentaries, and, and some commentators were saying, yeah, so with the wild animals, it's this metaphor, possibly, for blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I think God the Spirit was like, hey, Mark, make sure you put down, because I sent Jesus there. There were wild animals in the wilderness. And so I decided to look up, in the wildernesses around Israel during that time, what sort of wild animals were there? Wild dogs. Of course, there were snakes in different parts of the wilderness. Wild deer. Some bears. And lions and cheetahs. I'm just like, this is getting more and more wild as, as this story continues. Like survivor man status, Jesus, right? Like that's effectively is what we have this picture of. Like I think wild animals means wild animals here in these verses. And so here we are told the servant savior, he is there fasting. Other gospel accounts tell us he's in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, other gospels tell us that he was hungry. And you know when you fast, there's that initial hunger that you have because you're, just, you're hungry and you don't have to eat, but you're hungry. And then as you begin to fast, you begin to lose your appetite. 
and, and, and your body goes in this, in this stage where it's in self-preservation mode. But then there is another hunger, a second hunger that, that hits you if you fasted for too long, which I've never experienced in my entire life or ever probably will, hopefully, where you have this second hunger that comes, which is a hunger where you're literally starving to death. And Jesus was hungry. Jesus has been immediately sent into this wilderness and over a 40-day period, has had nothing to eat, is there in the wilderness, literally starving to death, dodging these wild animals while he is not eating. And if that's not enough, Satan shows up. At what point? It's like, man, I just ran from a lion, all right? Like, I don't know. We can only imagine the things that Jesus went through in the wilderness. Mark doesn't get into all the specifics. I'd encourage you to read the other details on your own. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. When you are in the wilderness, temptation awaits. And if Jesus could not escape temptation, we surely will not escape being tempted. I want us to consider the relevancy of Jesus' temptation and, and how it's significant to us. Satan, other than getting thrown out of heaven, has done pretty well for himself. When he demanded more praise and more glory from, from God, God's like, I've had enough, throws him out of heaven, a third of the angels go with him. And other than that failure, he has done pretty well. Satan is an expert at what he does. He's had thousands of years of practice. In fact, it only took Genesis 3. Satan's like, all right, I got to try to trip up man. And so I'm going to slither in the garden there in Eden. I'm going to try to trick up man. And he probably is like, that was much easier than I thought to make man sin, right? Like chapter 3 into creation, man screws it up. Satan uh, led them toward that, right? Um, He's had a good track record for thousands of years. We know we know that since Satan is the prince of the power of the air, uh, like in Eden, he tempts us with us. Uh, he tempts us with sin. The wilderness of Jesus' temptation from uh, the other gospel accounts really though could be could be simplified into three types of temptations towards sin that Satan was tempting him with, and that Satan tempts us with pleasure. Pride and power. Pleasure, pride, and power. Those are the lures which Satan uses to tempt us to sin. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Jesus was tempted with bread when he was hungry by Satan in the wilderness. He was tempted to fall down in exhaustion from the high point on the temple and the angels would catch him he was tempted to worship satan by satan bringing him up on the mountaintop and looking at all the panoramic landscape that was, this is all yours jesus if you worship me and again up to this point satan though he is on a leash he has done very well 
So in this critical moment, will Jesus give into temptation and sin, or will he resist? See, it's in this moment in the wilderness does the crux of our salvation hang. You guys, Satan is crafty. He is good at temptation. I think sometimes we think too lightly of Satan. I mean, we don't need to like dwell upon him and build a massive theology on him and do a series exegetically on Satan. We're not going to give him that much credit nor glory because God doesn't. My kids, um, they were in an event, a ch- not a shore break, but a church Christian event. That's all I can say because we live on an island and and one of the songs they were singing, and they came home singing it to me, was that they were going to stop Satan lower, lower, lower. And I was like, Son, sons, you never sing to Satan first. And you don't sing to Satan saying that you're going to stop him lower, lower, and lower. Do we not often think too little of his craftiness and his skillfulness in tempting us? Like Satan, when he, when he shows up to Jesus here in this, the wild wilderness and he shows Jesus the rocks, he does not say, Jesus, I can turn these rocks into a Toyota Prius for you. Jesus, like, why would I want a Toyota Prius? They're ugly. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you own a Toyota Prius, <laughs> I'm slightly joking, all right? Um, like, why would Jesus not want that? Because he's like, I, I'm hungry. A Toyota Prius is not tempting to me, but some bread would be tempting to me. So t- Satan is not like, oh, just you know, poor at tempting. He doesn't give us bad things when he tempts us. He gives us things that look appealing, beautiful, and useful, and meaningful, and purposeful to our lives. Things that will bring us joy and, and happiness. Even to Eve, when Satan was there, the crafty serpent tempting Eve, he was like, here, Eve, why don't you partake of this fruit? It's going to destroy your entire life. You're going to hate your husband at different times in your life. You're going to have a son who's going to kill his other son. Uh, you're going to have a son who's going to kill his, uh, your other son, and it's going to be badly. Oh, in fact, you're going to curse all of humanity and break creation itself. You want it? Eve's like, yes, please, let me take it. No, no, no. He was good at what he did. In fact, she saw the fruits, and it was pleasing to the eye temptations Satan brings. They are good temptations. Um, we've had my in-laws in town, and, and I love my in-laws. They are, they love me. We, we get along well. They're not just family, they're friends. And so a few nights ago, we were sitting down watching a cooking show right before bed. And if you're taking notes, never watch a cooking show right before bed. I don't know why. We kind of just stumbled across it and started watching this cooking show on how to make uh, sushi and sashimi. And sort of like, and sure enough, we finished watching the show. I've already had dinner, mind you. And my father's, uh, father-in-law's like, I'm hungry. So he goes to the fridge, starts cutting. We had fish in the freezer. Starts cutting fish sashimi. He's like, hey, Travis, do you want some? No, I'm good. I already ate. I shouldn't have any. Brings it over with the wasabi there. I could not resist like I had to give in. It was there. It was good and it was pleasing to the eye. When we are in the valley, when we are hungry, or even maybe not that hungry, when we are in moments of weakness, 
That is where Satan often tempts us and shows up and will give us what seems desirable in the moment. Satan knows the weakness of the weary soul in the wilderness. And even though God may sovereignly send us there to test us, Satan will also show up there to try us. To bring us to a place where we sin. He convinced Adam and Eve to sin. He convinced the Israelites for thousands of years, I think, to sin, even in the wilderness. Kings upon kings he tempted to sin. For thousands of generations, with temptation, he offers to man, and man takes and man sins. Even as Jesus served us by wading in the waters with sinners through baptism, here in this event, the servant Jesus is tempted and tried as we are. I am convinced this is why the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That while every other man, including you and me, has given into temptation, which resulted in sin, Jesus, he did not give into, but he resisted the lies of the enemy. He uh, repelled the temptation from the enemy. Where the wild things are is a dark place place is a place of temptation it is a place of trial it is a place of wanderings but it is the same place where victory is accomplished on our behalf where we have failed in the wilderness in our wanderings where we have given into temptation jesus the second adam goes in and faces the same temptations that we have yet he does not sin so while the wilderness for you may be a place of failure the wilderness is a place for victory for us at the same time because of the event of what jesus accomplished here for us maybe you were thinking great here comes a guilt sermon yep tempted right here no it's a deliverance sermon Yes, Jesus is an example, but Jesus also accomplished an event which is on, for us on our behalf. It was in the wilderness where Jesus was tempted. It was in the wilderness where Jesus was victorious. This entire event, this untamed wild story was ordained by God, caused by, by Satan, but it backfires on Satan. God used Satan to reveal the gloriousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? God, in trying to trip up and make, Je or Satan rather, trying to trip up and make Jesus sin only elevates and reveals how glorious Jesus truly is. <laughs> and even though we've given into the, the temptation of the wilderness, Jesus, he is our servant savior. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, in our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, because he was tempted as we are, but did not sin, let us then, this is the context, with confidence draw near to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. And when you are in the wilderness, and when I am in the wilderness, that is a time of need. And it is there we find mercy and grace from him because he is tempted and tried as we are. So guys, Jesus knows what you're going through. He experienced the same pull of temptation, yet he did not give in to those things. I, I, I know the landscape of our church. And I know where we're at. And, and many of us are thinking, well, this message might not be totally relevant for me. It will be. It will be at some point. Are you coming out of the wilderness, though, right now? Are you in the wilderness? Maybe you're not either one of those things. You will be going to the wilderness at some point. Because Jesus was tempted and he did not sin, Jesus knows what it's like. Confidently draw near to his grace in moments of need and weakness. A lot of times when we are in need, when we are in moments of weakness, we think we need to show God that we got this. Verses 12 and 13 show us that, no, Jesus has got this. He's done this for us. He was the servant Savior. Let us confidently draw near to his grace and may you receive mercy and find grace and help in times of need. Father God, I pray that this message would weave its way into our soul, that your word would bind our hearts and transform our minds to think and to understand about these things, that, that we don't need to fear the wilderness, for you are with us even in the wilderness, but that we need to be aware that, God, you may in fact send us there. Jesus, we want to thank you as your people that you did not give in to temptation, that you are truly our servant Savior, and that even as Satan tried to trip you up, you only appear to be more glorious to us. And Jesus, not only are you a glorious Savior, but you are a friend who can sympathize with us. May your Holy Spirit do that work in our lives. And may we, in faith, boldly approach your throne and the wilderness in times of great need. Not turning to self, but turning to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. 
Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.